Tara New. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park and 910 WTWD Plant City. It's time for Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. When Romans is preached and taught, exciting things happen. History has proven that no book or section of the Bible has played a more significant role in church history than the book of Romans. No other book has transformed the church and people as much as the book of Romans has. It was the truth set forth in Romans that launched the Reformation and every noted revival in the history of the church. And it was Romans that can and will transform our lives if we'll allow it to. Hello, I'm Peter Silseth, and you are listening to Verse by Verse. The world wants to glorify mankind, but Romans glorifies God and shows us our need for His grace. Romans answers the great question, how can sinful people stand before a righteous and just God? Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is guiding us through the first three chapters of this amazing book. For over 26 years, Pastor Steve has been serving at Lakeside, and now his messages make the transition to your radio through the work of Verse by Verse Ministries. We are in Chapter 3 now, as Pastor Steve begins his 12th message in this series. If you have your Bible, open it to verse 9. Here is Pastor Steve with today's lesson. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. Paul writes, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks, he means Gentiles, are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not even one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become useless. There is none who does good, there is not even one. Their throat is an open grave, with their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace have they not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The letter of Paul, the apostle, to the Christians at Rome has been the focus of our study in the scriptures for the last few months. When Romans is preached and taught, exciting things happen. History has proven that no book or section of the Bible has played a more significant role in church history than the book of Romans. No other book has transformed the church and people as much as the book of Romans has. I remind you that it was Romans that God used to convert St. Augustine, to convert Martin Luther, and to convert John Wesley, three church leaders that were used of God greatly. It was the truth set forth in Romans that launched the Reformation and every noted revival in the history of the church. And it was Romans that can and will transform our lives if we'll allow it to. Now, why can this letter of only 16 chapters affect lives in such a profound way? Because in this letter, the righteousness of God is revealed. And that is the one thing 
that people need that they lack. People have money, some people have fame, some people have jobs that are important, some people are well-known, some people have prestige, but the one thing that's lacking every person born into this world is the righteousness of God. And it is the book of Romans that outlines and tells us and explains to us in a very clear and logical and systematic fashion how a sinner, like we all are, can obtain the righteousness of God. And how that righteousness not only can become ours, but how it can affect our life on earth and for all of eternity. The righteousness of God. Now I remind you that if you want to get a hands on what Romans is all about, keep in mind its theme. Its theme is the righteousness of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And once you understand that, then divide the letter into three sections. Number one, divide chapters one through eight into the righteousness of God presented. In those chapters, the Apostle Paul takes man from his very ruin his sinfulness, and he brings him all the way up to chapter 8 as it closes when Paul says, man is now glorified. Whom he knew, he justified. Whom he justified, he glorified. And so you see the, the ruin of man brought all the way to God's glory. And then keep in mind the section, section the righteousness of God defended, chapters 9 through 11. It's dealing with the Jewish issue. What is God's relationship to Israel? Why is that important? Why is it important? Because if God has not been righteous to Israel, then he won't be righteous to the church. If God has not been faithful to the Jew, then he won't be faithful to the Christian. And so the Apostle Paul defends the righteousness of God. And he says, has God forsaken his people? Has God forgotten his people? No. Now, there are scores of Christians who are crying out, saying, yes, he has, he's forgotten Israel, he's turned to the church, and the church is now Israel, but that's not what the Word of God says. Has God forgotten his people? No. And that's important to Paul's argument, the righteousness of God is defended. And then finally, when we come to chapter 12, he says, brethren, based on the mercies of God, I want you to do this. Now, for 11 chapters, Paul has not said one command. Paul has not said anything by way of exhortation to do something. But when he comes to chapter 12, he says, based on God's mercies in giving man glorification in being righteous to Israel, he says, I want you to live a certain way. And that third section is the righteousness of God demonstrated. Godly living is based on the mercy of God. Now, why is God's righteousness so important? Because without this righteousness, apart from this righteousness, nobody will ever stand in the presence of God. Nobody. If there's one sin on our record, then we can't stand in the presence of a holy God who the Bible says is a consuming fire. No one will ever get to heaven unless he is given the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. Men and women need to understand that they have one spiritual need in life. We need to understand that. One spiritual need in life, and that is to receive the righteousness of God. That is the basic bottom line need that everyone has. But the problem with that is that we often think we don't need it, right? Most people think they don't need it. We kind of feel like our good outweighs our bad. There's very few people who say that they're perfect. I mean, you'll run into a few, you know, which... When they say that, you know that they're not, because they just lied to you. But there are some people that uh, 
think that they're perfect, but they're a very small minority. Most people that, that at least I have met feel that their good will outweigh their bad. When they stand before God, they're going to give God a list of all the good things they have done, and they think that that will outweigh the bad things that they've done. And so they don't see their need for righteousness. They think they're righteous enough. There are others who think that their religious systems, their rituals, their church backgrounds will make them righteous. And so you have a lot of people who don't see their need for righteousness. And no one responds to receive the righteousness of God through faith in Christ until they come to that place in their life where they realize that they don't have any righteousness of their own. And that's the first thing that the Holy Spirit does is he begins to work in a person's heart, bringing them to the point of, their, uh, of salvation. They have to see their need first. While on vacation, I had the opportunity to explain the gospel to a young man, young businessman, man in his 20s. He's been in a ritualistic church all of his life. But he told me, face to face, he told me very clearly that he knew that if he died that night, that day, he wouldn't go to heaven. He understood that his righteousness couldn't cut it because he wasn't righteous. He understood that he was a sinner. Now, that man isn't far from the kingdom of God. Maybe by now he's in the kingdom of God. But at that point he wasn't far from it because he had come to that place in his life where he recognized that he was unrighteous. Now, with all of this in mind, you'll understand that Paul's first goal in presenting God's righteousness in Romans, that first section, the righteousness of God presented, he must deal with the need for man's righteousness. You can't deal with, man's, with, with the righteousness of God unless you deal with man's need for righteousness. And that's what chapters 1, verses 18, all the way to chapter 3, verse 20 is about. In fact, today, we're going to close the section we're going to close the section that deals with the need for man's righteousness. When you come to verse 20, that closes that section. And in this section, Paul has been a prosecuting attorney. He's not just the Apostle Paul, he's the Attorney Paul. And as the attorney, he puts the world on trial. It is a courtroom scene, it is a courtroom drama, in which both Jews and Gentiles are ushered into the into the court of law, and they are stripped of all of their claims of righteousness. Everything they could say about themselves, the Apostle Paul has just stripped them bare of all of their, of their concepts and ideas and claims of being righteous. He says in chapter 1, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Why? They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And then from that statement, the Apostle Paul goes on to prove it. And he, he calls upon the testimony of history to prove that the Gentiles are unrighteous. Look at his behavior. Look at his sexual behavior. Look at his deviation. Look at the cruel things he does. Look at his idolatry. Look at his rejection of, of the revelation of God. History has proven that the Gentiles are unrighteous. They suppress the truth. If the people of Paul's time suppressed the truth, how much more is it suppressed today? It is popular nowadays to claim that there is no objective truth. To claim to be telling the truth while proclaiming the non-existence of truth is pretty absurd, but that is now the popular worldview. Let's pause a moment to greet those of you who just found us on your radio. You are listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, 
Pastor Steve has an important announcement to share with you before we resume our lesson. Hi, this is Steve Kreloff. I wanted to take a few moments today to tell you how pleased I am that you're listening to Verse by Verse. Our goal here at Verse by Verse is to teach people the Word of God so that they'll be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ and glorify God. I hope that you've been learning and growing in your faith as you've listened to our broadcasts. As a faithful listener to these broadcasts, I feel you should know that Verse by Verse needs your financial support. It's costly to prepare and broadcast these programs, and we can only continue to do so if our listeners support this ministry. So I would ask you to please consider giving a gift as a way of saying thank you to the Lord for providing this program to help you in your Christian walk. All gifts to Verse by Verse are tax deductible. You can give via PayPal on our website, which is versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. Or you can send your gift to Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. That's Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. Thank you, and may our Lord richly bless and strengthen you as you listen to him speak, verse by verse. Now, here's Pastor Steve with the rest of our lesson. He also says the Gentiles suppress the truth in creation. They know the truth about God, and yet historically, it's been proven that they rejected creation. They rejected what creation tells them about the Lord. Not only that, they have rejected with their conscience the law, the standards that God has put in their heart, the moral monitor, they have rejected that truth, so they suppress, they hold down the truth. And then he turns in chapter 2 to the Jew and he says, you're no better. You're no better. You Jews, you religious Jews, you suppress the truth by not obeying the light that God has given you. And what is that light? The law of God, the Word of God, the Old Testament Scriptures. So both groups know the truth and both groups live in defiance to that truth. Mankind is unrighteous. He's not good. He's rotten to the core. And Paul has previously pointed out man's behavior to prove he's been unrighteous. What's left for Paul to say? What more can the attorney prove? There's only one more thing. He's going to make, as every good attorney does, his concluding statement. A statement that should convince everyone who reads this letter of their unrighteousness. Paul appeals to a final authority. He has used the testimony of history, the testimony of reason, of logic, of conscience, all of that. Now Paul has one final appeal that he, that he comes to, one final word of proof, one final authority, one more testimony to the fact that men and women are sinners. And you know what that is? That one final authority is the word of God. He calls God to give his testimony. Speaking through the Old Testament scriptures, Paul is in essence going to say, what I've been telling you by reason and logic and history, God has already said it in his word. So in his summary statements, he focuses on three truths. His accusation. Paul says, I remind you what my accusation has been or my charge has been, that men are sinful. But can Paul prove it? He's going to make one final appeal. So he moves from his accusation to his appeal. He appeals to the scriptures. He says, God, you speak. You tell men what they're like. And then as he concludes, he makes one final application. So we have his accusation, his appeal, and his application. Let's look at the accusation first. Now, it was a number of weeks ago and we left off in Romans. But if you recall, you've been taking copious notes. 
The last time we looked at Romans, we saw that Paul anticipated some objections to what he'd written. Objections from who? From the Jew. This is the section dealing with the Jew. I don't really think it's a good chapter division uh, to end chapter 2 with verse 29. Uh, the chapter divisions, by the way, are not inspired. They're just put there so it would help us. But uh, he's really still dealing with the Jew. And there, was, uh, there were Jews at Rome who Paul knew would object to the gospel he was preaching, specifically the fact that they were sinners, that their circumcision couldn't save them, that the law couldn't save them. And so Paul anticipates a Jew standing up at Rome and saying, now wait a minute, Paul, you've got it all wrong. Are you saying that we don't have any advantages? Look at chapter 3, verse 1. What advantage has the Jew? If circumcision doesn't do anything for him, Paul, and law doesn't do anything for him, then what advantage is it? What benefit does he have? And so Paul has met those objections in chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. He met them head on, dealing with the Jewish audience, and so he deals with Jewish objections. So that's important to know, because when we come to verse 9, he is still dealing with the Jewish audience. Let's look at the beginning of verse 9. What then? He's kind of looking back over all he said to the Jews, he says, actually to the Gentiles and Jews, he says, what then? Are we better than they? In other words, in spite of our privileges as a nation, and Paul is identifying himself with the Jewish people now, are we really any better than the heathen Gentiles and the Jew thought they, that they were? The Jews thought that. Paul says, no. No, not at all. Not at all. He says, that's my whole point. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Paul says, do you still think that you're any better? No way. We've already charged that Jews and Gentiles are in the same predicament. They are all under sin. Now he says the Jew has many privileges, chiefly that the oracles of God have been committed to him. But don't think sin-wise he's any better. Just because he knows the truth more than the Gentiles doesn't mean that he's obeyed that truth. For almost three chapters, Paul has been saying the same thing. Jew, Gentile, hypocrite, religious person, all are slaves of sin. And that's exactly what he's summing up. That's exactly his accusation. We're all under sin. Now I want you to notice the end of verse 9. It doesn't just say that we're all sinners. We're under sin. We're under sin. Every person born into this world is under the power of sin. He's not free. You hear people say, I want to do my own thing. They're not free to do their own thing. They're just, they're, they just can make choices what kind of sin they're going to do. That's all. They're not free. Sin doesn't just affect our lives. It dominates our lives. That's Paul's point. We're under sin. We're dominated. It's our master. Romans 6.14 For sin shall not be master over you, for you're not under law but under grace when you become a child of God. Sin is not the master over you. At least it shouldn't be. Grace masters you, and grace leads to godliness. But the unsaved, the person born into this world apart from Christ, which is all of us, are under sin. The charge and the accusation is that we are a race of people under the power and under the control of sin. But you see, some object to this. And they say, don't put me on the same level as a heathen, as a pagan. While my parents were, were very religious, and they were involved in the church. And my grandfather and grandmother taught me the Bible on their knee. And don't put me in the same rank as a pagan. 
Donald Barnhouse, in his excellent commentary on Romans, says this, a trip to the so-called heathen lands gives a very proper adjustment to the perspective of our outlook upon the unbelieving world around us. The traveler is shocked at much that he sees. Accustomed to standards of Western civilization, he cannot help being startled the first time he sees half a roast dog hanging in a marketplace or a blood sacrifice offered to appease evil spirits or the dead body of a human being lying beside a road with no passerby giving it a thought. The shock is primarily to our sense of custom until we realize that the only difference between what we see in the so-called heathen world and in Christendom is that between sin in rags and sin in silk. He says there's an apparent difference in our sight, but none in God's sight. It's just a matter of sin in rags or sin in silks, but it's sin, and God sees it as sin. Well, specifically, how does God see it? How does he view it? Paul has made this incredible accusation. What would have really, really gotten the Jews infuriated? But he's made this incredible charge, this incredible accusation. We're all under sin, but can he prove it? Can he prove it? So, from their perspective, so he's given his reason, his logic. Quite frankly, they didn't care about Paul's reason or logic, even though he was speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. I don't think they all recognized that if they weren't believers. But what would they recognize? What would speak to them? What would be something that they could not refute? The Word of God. The Old Testament Scriptures. And so that's what Paul appeals to. He's going to tell, he's going to tell all of us how God sees us. And for the Jew, it was no question. If God spoke, that was it. Now, I hope you're ready for this, because sometimes we like to think that, that God, uh, before we know Christ, sees us as very wonderful people. You know, he knows my heart, which is so good. Just the opposite is true. God knows your heart, but he knows how rotten it is. So we move from Paul's accusation to Paul's appeal. Paul quotes from the Psalms, from Proverbs, and from Isaiah to show that what he's described in chapters 1 and 2, God's already said in his word. This isn't anything new. Now, you can easily divide what God says about man's sinfulness into three categories. First, he deals with man's sinful conduct, or character, rather. His character, then his conduct, and finally, the cause of his unrighteousness. What, what is the cause of his sinful behavior from a very practical standpoint? Let's look at man's sinful character. The emphasis in these verses is that there are no exceptions. He says continually in these next few verses, there's none, not even one, there's none, there's none, all, together they've all become useless, there's none who does good, no, not even one. The emphasis is on no exceptions, no exceptions. He starts off, verse 10, as it is written. That's Paul's way of saying, thus says the scriptures. There's none righteous, not even one. Isn't that amazing? God knows every heart, and in all the years of humanity, he has not found one righteous heart aside from the Lord Jesus Christ. Even so, following these stern verses at the start of Romans, there is great news coming soon. You have been listening to Verse by Verse, Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel has been leading us through these first three chapters as we consider the righteousness of God and our need for that righteousness. Pastor Steve has been serving at Lakeside, located in Clearwater, Florida, since 1981. Verse by Verse Ministries converts his practical messages to radio format. We are a faith ministry 
supported through the prayers and gifts of listeners like you. You can find us on the web at versebyverseradio.org. At the website, you'll find previous lessons as well as today's class. We also offer a free podcasting service, which is a great way to make sure that you don't miss any of our classes. It's also a great way to share these lessons with friends who might not be able to listen when we are on the air. While you're there, take advantage of our complimentary newsletter offer. That's versebyverseradio.org. Our class today was the beginning of a three-part message. It's often helpful to hear the entire message at one time. We make that possible through CD or cassette if you would like to order one. Just call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours. That number again is 727-441-1714. Pastor Steve will continue our lesson on the next verse by verse. This is Peter Silseth, and I hope to see you back in class again next time. Sincerity is not what saves you. Jesus is who saves you. So may I ask you today, have you decided to trust Jesus as your Savior? These were hours of decision, and this is an hour of decision for you today. Faith Talk 570 and 910 WTBN.